Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Perfect Faith Podcast. I'm Kirk Klingerman, your host. This is uh, episode five of season four, and we are continuing on with Perfect Faith, His Faith, Not Ours, the podcast version of the audio. In this one, we're getting down into the nitty-gritty. This is not for the faint of heart. This is for those that really want to go deeper with the Lord, who really want to see change. If you're not interested in change for real, you might find this one a little bit more difficult to listen to. On the other hand, it'll help propel you forward in your faith all the more. So, if you want to walk by faith, strap in, and let's just go ahead and jump right into it, starting chapter 5, Vital Keys to Faith. Deny. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. In a nutshell, our keys to the kingdom of God are denying the self, taking up a cross, and following Jesus. If a believer will truly grasp this principle, the concept of faith will no longer pose such a struggle. That does not mean, however, the testing will be eliminated. Sorry. Each of us has a propensity to enter into the realm of self-awareness or self-consciousness. Let me interject something here before I go further. Being self-aware can be a good thing, but there are other times it actually can work against you, as you will soon see. It's in this realm we will either exalt or degrade ourselves. In either case... Self still sits on the throne. In relation to faith, an old mindset leads to the desire for notoriety as a person of great faith. It soon becomes, my faith did this and my faith did that, which is an attitude of self-glorification that leads to lordship of Jesus Christ on the back shelf. If it's our faith, then it's our works as well. Pride, ego, and arrogance are true enemies of faith. These elements lead to self-destruction. Self-defeat sets in when our faith doesn't meet our expectations. When calamity strikes, suddenly the great person of faith becomes a great heap on the floor, completely bewildered. I just don't get it. I know I stepped out on faith. So-called works of faith become works of failure, which in turn can lead to despair. This is where our first key comes in utterly deny or disown the self. Deny the self says, I love God more than myself and my reputation. Deny the self does things on his terms. Because it knows he is sovereign, it will not bargain with the Lord. Deny the self surrenders the self to the cross to be truly crucified with Christ. Deny the self says, I will not seek to use my faith to please the flesh. That would be carnality. Essentially, when we deny the self, we will not insist on our own way. We will not insert ourselves into the situation. We will wait on God. Deny the self does not determine what is good or bad, regardless of how things may look. It allows God to make that determination after all. He will use all things to the good, which includes exposing and expelling old mindsets that may still be lurking within us. Here's something to consider. 
What length will our Father go to conform us to the image of His dear Son? What if there's an area in which He's been trying to deal with us and we are refusing to receive the gentle nudge of correction? If we are turning a blind eye to something He's trying to show us, it is possible that He will allow more extreme situations to arise in our life in order to bring us to the point where we have to face it. He may wink at our ignorance a time or two, but there comes a time when Abba gives us an education we will not soon forget, hopefully. It's like dealing with a young child. Initially, we wink at their mistakes because they are ignorant. But eventually, there comes a time when the Board of Education comes into play in order to reinforce what's been said or to correct unwanted behavior and attitudes. It is not child abuse, it's saving them a lot of heartache down the road. As the saying goes, it's better to discipline a child in the playpen than in the state pen. As he deals with us as children, there are times Father may uncover hurts or wounds that need healing. These wounds cause us to respond in ways that are contrary to the nature of Christ. They hinder us in our relationship with Him along with others. Moreover, His love and mercy desires us to be made whole. Our Father takes no pleasure in our pain whatsoever. In the process of the healing, He may allow us to come into circumstances that bring these wounds to the surface so we can finally be rid of them. Facing difficult circumstances are not signs of a cruel God. They are signs He is an ever-loving God. Of course, there is that human factor that comes into play. We've made, we may have made poor decisions or mistakes that placed us in bad situations. This is where wisdom is called for and why we are exhorted to ask for it. As we deny the self, we will admit we need help, and by faith, we will ask for it. If it's God's discipline... Receive it with thanksgiving. If you made a poor decision or mistake, He will provide a solution. If it's a test, He will help you pass it. Denying the self includes admitting weakness, and in so doing, God is able to be strong in us. More often than not, it's our self-nature along with doubt that's been hindering our walk of faith. The following is a small list of areas which may be good to consider in relation to denying the self. This is not a comprehensive list, but it may help de- identify trouble spots in order to better cooperate with Holy Spirit as He works in our lives. Self-abasement, which is humiliation of oneself based on inferiority, guilt, or shame. Self-absorption, preoccupation, preoccupations with oneself being self-absorbed with one's own thoughts, activities, or interests. Self-advancement, the act of advancing oneself, which runs counter to James 4, verse 10, which states, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Self-assertion, asserting oneself or one's own rights, claims, or opinions. It includes being self-assured, confident, or arrogant. Self-reliant, having confidence in or exercising one's own power or judgment. Self-righteousness, being convinced of one's own righteousness, especially in comparison 
with the actions and beliefs of others. This is an area that leads, lends itself to narrow-mindedness. As we examine the small list, we find a common thread that runs through it. Pride. Pride can manifest in different ways while disguising itself in various forms. People can debase themselves, calling it humility. In reality, they're looking for others to pet their ego or to help them feel better about themselves by compelling them to counter their self-abasement. Being self-absorbed is void of concern for others. The self-absorbed are only concerned with what others do or say as long as they are still the center of attention. We have all heard people claim to be opinionated and then take pride in it. This ties in with self-assertion and brings us to a simple question. How does being opinionated work with denying the self, much less picking up a cross and following Jesus? It doesn't. Similarly, denying the self will not allow our emotions to assert themselves. For example, when we are angry, we do not deny that the anger exists. That would be both a lie and self-denial. However, we do not let it control us. We deny the anger the right to speak or act by submitting to Holy Spirit, who gives us the self-control to do so. We don't allow feelings of melancholy or mourning to take us into deep depression. If we're going through a grieving process, we need to recognize it and allow for it. But it's important to allow for the healing process to take effect. In other words, we deny the emotions the right to control our lives. Who are you that judges another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yea, he shall be upheld, for God is able to make him stand. Romans 14, verse 4. How does self-righteousness line up with this verse? If you begin to feel critical of others because they don't walk the way you walk, or they appear to be unsaved, read the entirety of chapter 14 along with 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 5, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 15 through 21, and James 4, 10 through 12. We can pull out of the dictionary and look at all the self-whatevers, but the question is, how many line up with the Word of God? The word deny means to disavow, reject, or refuse. When we deny the self, we refuse the self-nature. In essence, to deny the self means to humble oneself. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Philippians 2 verse 8. Obedience requires humility. If we are to take up a cross and follow Jesus, we are going to have to humble ourselves under the hand of the Almighty. Denying the self leads to the way of the cross. Take. As stated, to deny the self is an act of humility, but to take up our cross is an act of full surrender. It's a place of decision. If we will not deny the self, we will not take up the cross, and if we will not take up our cross, we cannot follow Jesus. It leaves the methods of our crucifixion up to God. When we carry our cross, we are surrounding ourselves completely to the Lord. Thus, we are able to follow Him. That's when we've given up total control and He's able to freely lead us wherever He desires.
In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus showed us the perfect example of denying the self, though he had already done so before this moment in time. The word Gethsemane, found in Matthew 26, verse 36, and Mark 14, verse 32, means oil press. It's a place of pressing or a place of pressure where the decision where the decision is made to either receive or reject the will of the Father. Likewise, we will have our Gethsemane, and we will have to decide to receive or reject the will of the Father. When Jesus carried his cross, he had fully surrendered himself to be crucified as the result of his decision. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. The blood of Jesus declares his death as the perfect sacrifice, which was foreshadowed by the Old Testament sacrifices. The cross of Christ put an end to the curse of the law. The cross was the Romans' favorite tool used for the execution of criminals and slaves and was the worst form of humiliation anyone could endure. At the cross, Jesus identified himself with us as we were enslaved to sin, which made us criminals in the sight of God. Consider this. Not only did Jesus identify with us, he identified with our weaknesses, including our humiliation and shame. He faced the same temptations we all face, yet he was without sin. Even so, he became sin on the cross that we might be made righteous. Because of this, Jesus is able to meet us where we are and fully raise us up. Know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Romans 6, verses 3 through 7. The temptation might be to ask Jesus to identify with this, but... That is something he has already done. Now it is our turn to identify with him. Often it is said that the baptism is an outward sign of an inward work. But it's more than that. To be baptized into means to be immersed into, much like immersing a piece of cloth in dye. It means to identify with, or in our case, being baptized into Jesus Christ means that we identify with him, his character, and all he stands for, along with his death and resurrection, it signifies ownership. The one with whom we identify has complete ownership and rule. Furthermore, baptism is a vow to continue to walk in Jesus Christ while walking, while taking on his character, which includes the concept of, I die daily. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 16, verse 25. The word lose means to destroy utterly or put to death, total destruction. 
Crucifixion means the death of those things of the flesh which hinder our relationship and fellowship with God. Ironically, death is the key to life. Follow. When we are completely surrendered to the Lord, He's able to lead us to our crucifixion, which includes the journey through our wilderness. One of the things that the wilderness and the cross do is qualify us for the Master's use. Just as Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, we too will be led into the wilderness to face our demons, our hurts, lusts, and wild imaginations. From there, it is to the cross where our hurts are healed, our lusts are put to death, and our imaginations are cast down. The wilderness and the cross are places of exposure and death where we can feel very much alone, humiliated, and forsaken. After all, our demons don't want to be exposed, and our old nature does not want to die, but die it must. It is not about changing our personality. It's about a change in character that will accentuate the personality that God gave us. Before the wilderness, we tend to want to use Holy Spirit, whereby we grieve Him. But after the wilderness, we desire Him to use us. Together. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are under the law, not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves to obey, his servants are you to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness? Romans 6, verses 11 through 16. From time to time we will hear someone say, Please pray for me. I'm struggling with fill in the blank. Perhaps we ourselves have said the same thing. We have all struggled from time to time, but there is hope. As we look into the Word of God, we find that we actually do have the victory in Jesus Christ if we walk it out in His strength. This is just a thought, but look again at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Let not says that we have a choice in the matter. Grace is a gift given to the Lord. In it is our ability to walk in the Spirit. By God's grace, we have been empowered to say no to sin and the flesh. It gives us the ability to choose whom we will follow. Not only does Jesus ask us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him, He gave us the ability to do it as well. The word yield means to stand aside or be at hand. It means to present for acceptance or to set before someone. We find this word rendered as present in Romans 12, verse 1, where it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. To whom we present ourselves is whom we will serve. If we want to serve God instead of the flesh, then we present ourselves to God, thus denying our flesh. 
When we submit to the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Thus, by picking up a cross, we crucify the flesh. The key is minding the things of the Spirit instead of the flesh. The more submitted we are to someone, the more authority they have in our life. Therefore, the more submitted we are to Holy Spirit, the more authority He has in our life. The more submitted we are to authority, the more authority we can be entrusted with. Hence, the more authority we will have. God will use natural authority to teach us spiritual authority. Some say, I'll submit to God, but I won't submit to people. The reality is that they are not being submissive to God because it is written in the scriptures that we should submit to those placed in authority over us. We are exhorted to do all things as unto the Lord and not unto men. How can we be entrusted with spiritual matters if we cannot be trusted with the natural? Those who are faithful do not need a watchful eye to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. For example, in many places of employment, supervisors should be able to tell you whom they can trust to do their work and whom they have to continually watch over to make sure they do theirs. Those they can trust readily follow orders without complaining or murmuring. Supervisors know they will perform tasks in a faithful manner. These are the ones who get the promotions because employers know they will carry out their duties in a manner that is consistent with company policy. They do things with excellence because they have an excellent spirit. How do supervisors know? They have been proven over time. Before we can be entrusted with more things of God, we first need to be proven by God. How can He trust us to be submissive to Him, whom we cannot see, if we will not submit to those whom we can see. Sometimes, places of employment are used to train us in denying ourselves, picking up a cross, and following Him. The same principle applies to those who are, spiritual, who are in spiritual authority, such as a pastor in a local church, perhaps even more so. And since we can come and go as we please, referring to a church, by the way, without fear or reprisal, do we freely submit to that authority as unto the Lord, or are we a thorn in their side? Personalities Our personalities are distinct and unique. Each is designed in specific ways, so no two people are exactly alike, though some may share many of the same traits. The Lord interacts with each individual differently because everyone is different, just as one child requires a different form of discipline than another. Why? They don't have the same personality, which means each one responds differently than the other. For instance, one may only need a word to be said, while another child requires something sterner. Both require discipline, but to varying degrees. Everyone is uniquely designed in order to have a one-of-a-kind relationship with God, yet biblical principles apply to all. For example, all have sinned and require a Savior no exceptions. However, each one's calling is diverse and requires a certain temperament. Therefore, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me is not about a change of personality. It is about the submission of our will. It is the mortification of those things that hinder our personalities from being their best intended form. The reason for the change in character is so the individual becomes his or, best, his or her best version. Comparing one's own personality with that of another 
could possibly move someone away from contentment and lead to self-depreciation, especially if it involves past wounds that resulted in low self-esteem. This may limit the relationship with God because the individual never feels good enough, even though our goodness is based on the blood of Jesus. Comparing Comparing personalities may also spark competition based on jealousy and envy. It can draw people into pride and destroy relationships. People sometimes blame God for the shortcomings because of supposed design flaws. Man was made perfect and was perfect until sin came into the picture. The enemy continuously attacks the personality so people will fail to draw near to God and cause division in the body of Christ. After all, a united body is a detriment to his kingdom. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me will not allow for a critical spirit or attitude. It's important not to confuse being judgmental with discernment. The judgmental attitude looks for fault in others and will not allow for change, nor does it encourage it. It is a negative outlook outlook that does not really want people to succeed or change for the better. It prefers to keep them where it finds them so no one can conti- so one can continue to feel superior. They'll never change is the mantra, even if it's never verbalized. A critical, a critical disposition will not pray in the true sense for another. A word that is synonymous with being judgmental is pride. Pharisaical and self-righteous also describes this attitude. In the days of Jesus' earthly ministry, the Pharisees were always finding fault with Jesus, even though the real fault was with them. Godly discernment has love and restoration in mind for the individual. It wants to see them win. It desires a change for the better and looks for it to happen. It leads you to pray for those who are struggling or are found in a fault. As we deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus, we will allow for differences in personalities and opinions without compromising the Word of God. It gives people room to grow and mature. We also need to give ourselves room to grow and change. As we coexist on earth with other humans, we should become fully aware that people are wired differently because of a variety of reasons. Thought processes, opinions, likes, and dislikes differ from one person to the next, as one culture differs from another. It does not make one wrong, nor does it make one right. It just is. We must allow for those differences. For instance, in school there are those who excel in mathematics but do horribly in English whereas others will do well in English, but not so well in math. Some love factory work, while others prefer construction. It does not make one superior over the other. From varying abilities of learning to differing points of view, we are all unique. Yet, with all our differences, there is one thing we all have in common. God loves us all. Recognize that people respond or react differently based on their background. For example, Those who have difficulty interacting with others may find it difficult because of a very painful past. Later, we will deal with this issue more directly. Do not misinterpret inner struggle with willful disobedience. And I'll give you a quick example of that. There are people out there, and I'm side-noting, by the way, there are people out there that have early childhood trauma that absolutely interferes with their thought processes, it interferes with their behavior, and so many other areas because they do have need of this healing. 
Moving on with the book now. People often want to change for the better, but need their thought processes rewired or, as stated before, their mind renewed. Another person might be dealing with a deep-seated hurt or lust. As brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we may have seasons of prayer in order to stand in the gap for others. We may need to offer a listening ear or a shoulder to lean on. Sometimes just a simple hug or a smile makes all the difference in the world. If we are the ones struggling, it's good to know we don't have to overcome by our own effort, but by the power of God working in our lives to make the necessary changes. One last thing about personality. Do not despise yours. Embrace it. Allow me to use a personal illustration to get the point across. There was a time when I was comparing my singing voice with that of another. I thought how nice it would be to be able to sing like so-and-so. I loved the voice I was hearing. And then out of the blue, the Lord asked me, Don't you like the voice I gave you? I had to repent on the spot. We all need to learn to be content with what we have been given and appreciate the way we have been made, since we're all unique and filled with the purposes of God. Qualifications Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, O Lord God, Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for you shall go to all that I send you, and whatsoever I command you, you will speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Jeremiah 1, verses 5 through 10. Before Jeremiah was even born, he was called to be a prophet of God. Before he was knit in his mother's womb, God had plans for him. If he had plans and purposes for Jeremiah before his birth, the same can be said for you. The Lord knew when, where, and how they were to come into effect. He didn't consult Jeremiah about those plans. He told him what they were. He already determined the qualifications for Jeremiah, and he knows ours as well. When the Lord called him, he was still fairly young. In fact, Jeremiah called himself a child or a young boy. Ah, Lord, I can't be a prophet. I'm too young. What was the Lord's reply? Don't say you're too young. You're going to do what I've called you to do. Of course, Jeremiah is not the first to object to his calling. There were Moses and Gideon, to name a couple. We are not exactly competent enough to qualify or disqualify ourselves for the work of God, especially with human reasoning involved. But then, it's not up to us. We simply must allow the Lord to make the determination. Permit Him to determine the qualifications and when you are ready to begin. This is the essence of deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. In the same way, we cannot ascertain someone else's suitability. This is especially true if we tend to view people from a humanistic perspective. It's easy to look at such things as appearance, people's upbringing and education, their current circumstances, and, of course, 
past history. And it came to pass, when they were come, he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 1 Samuel 16, verse 6 and 7. When Saul had failed to fulfill the role of king of Israel, God sent Samuel to anoint a new one in his stead. He was to go to the house of Jesse and appoint one of Jesse's sons to become the new king. In the process, Jesse presented his sons to Samuel, beginning with the oldest. Until he presented David, each son was unacceptable for the role. Samuel and Jesse were looking at outer appearances, thereby overlooking the least likely candidate whom God has chosen. We must remember that God looks upon the heart, not the qualifications found in humanism. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 states, Know we no man after the flesh. If we form opinions about others based on a carnal perspective, we may hinder those whom God called because in our heart we have disqualified them. Even though David's brother Eliab had witnessed David's anointing, he hindered him at the battle with the Philistines where he took down Goliath. Our attitudes and words may discourage those seeking to fulfill their God-given destiny. There's no way you could ever do that. You don't have the education or the background it takes. At some point, most people have encountered discouraging words and and contemptible attitudes. Depending on the source, it may have been difficult to move forward, perhaps in some cases become dispirited and gave up. What about us? Have we become a hindrance to God's work? Or have we encouraged people to fulfill their calling? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me says that we will let God do the qualifying and we will agree with Him. That ends chapter 5. Next week, we're going to talk about whose faith. That's the one where you're going to find out that you have more faith than you really realize at your disposal. So let's wrap this thing up. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you bless my brothers and my sisters. I ask that you would encourage them, Father. Help them to be so aware of your presence, for in your presence is fullness of joy. I thank you for giving them the victory in the circumstances in which they find themselves. I thank you, Lord, that you are Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. You know the ending before the beginning. So let each one of them be encouraged by the fact that you made provision for everything that they face. Bless them in their going now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed, my friend. See you next time.